How many of you remember your birth date? Everybody, right? I mean, unless you are in the first stages of dementia or something like that, you remember your birth date. When, when we're younger, it's a day that we celebrate. We throw parties, we have cake, we get presents. And every year we look forward to that day when we celebrate our birth date. But as we get a little bit older, we try to forget our birthday because it reminds us, doesn't it, of our mortality. And, and so as we get older, we try to forget it. We don't celebrate it as much as we do when we're younger. Now, our birth date, our birthday is the day that society says that life began for you and for me. Now, if you're like me and many others, you believe that life actually begins about nine months earlier at conception. But, but whether it's at our birthday, at our birth, or whether it's at conception, each and every one of us have a day where life begins. We have a day that is our starting point. It is our beginning point. But what about Jesus? What about the Son of God? Does he have a day in which his life, his existence begins? I want you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 1. We're in week 2 of a series that we've entitled The Son of God. And, and last week we looked at the two most important questions that have ever been asked. The, the first question was asked to Jesus by the religious leaders. Jesus was on trial. They looked at him and they asked him point blank, are you the son of God? And Jesus answered emphatically, yes. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. Now, regardless of what you may think about Jesus, you need to understand this morning that Jesus made the claim that he was the son of God. Now, the second question that's extremely important for each and every one of us was asked by Jesus to his disciples and I believe to each and every one of us. And that is this question. Who do you say I am? Jesus claimed to be the son of God, but then he turns to us and he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? You see, each and every one of us have to make a decision on the claim that Jesus made where he said, I am the Son of God. We have to decide, do I believe that or not? Is Jesus a liar? Is Jesus a lunatic? Or is he indeed the Son of God? And our answer to that question affects everything that happens in our life. Now this morning, as we continue to look at the Son of God, I want us to look at his birth. But as we look at his birth this morning, I, I want you to understand that, that Jesus' birth was different than every other birth in at least two ways. First of all, Jesus' birth was not his entry into existence. He already existed. And, and then second, his birth was unique from every other birth in that he was virgin born. Now to understand... No other child has ever been born to a virgin. But Jesus was born to a virgin. Now, if you have your copy of God's Word open, I want you to follow along in your Bible 
as we read, beginning in John chapter 1, I want us to first of all read those first three verses. Listen to what John the disciple said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that was made. And then move on down to chapter 1 verse 14. And and let's pick it up right there. John says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out saying, This is the one whom I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And then move on down to verse 34. Verse 34, John the Baptist is speaking as he was speaking in in verse 15 and following. And and John the Baptist says this. He says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. I want us to pray together. Father God, I pray this morning that you will use your word to speak truth into our hearts. And Father, if there be any here today who are confused as to who Jesus is, I pray today that will be cleared up. I pray that your Holy Spirit will illuminate their minds and penetrate their hearts so that they will not only know intellectually, but they will know emotionally and they will respond volitionally to the point that you are indeed the Christ, the Son of living God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we read some verses here in John 1 that teach us some incredible truths about Jesus and Jesus' birth. The first thing that this teaches us is about the pre-incarnate Son of God. Now, you may ask, what does that mean? When we say that Jesus was the pre-incarnate Son of God, what does that mean? What that means is simply that Jesus existed before He took on flesh and bone. Jesus existed before He became a man. And that's what John is speaking of in these first three verses. I want you to look at them again because we need to really dig into this to understand what God is saying about His Son. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Now, as we read chapter 1, we discover something that is very clear. We discover that the word that John is talking about here is very clearly Jesus, the Son of God. Now, as we open up these verses, we discover several important truths about who the Son of God is. First of all, John tells us that the Son of God is eternal. John says it this way. He says, in the beginning. That word beginning literally means, in the Greek language, commencement. Some people translate those three words, that that phrase, before the first things. 
Other people translate it before anything else. This phrase takes us back to the beginning of all things. Now, now you and I, we really don't know how old the universe is. Some people say it's billions of years old. Some people say it's millions of years old. Some people say it's thousands of years old. No one really knows how old the universe is. But what we do know is this. However old the universe is, before it began, Jesus was already here. Before anything existed, before everything existed, Jesus existed. Before there was anything, there was Jesus. If you could walk back to to the first moment of time and stand on the edge of eternity and look back, you would see Jesus. And if you were able somehow, some way to step out into eternity past and, and look back into eons of time, into eternity, and you went back and back and back as far as you could possibly go, you would still find Jesus. Because no matter how far you travel back, John says that there was Jesus. At the very beginning, there was already Jesus. Now, now we can wrap our minds around some things. I can wrap my mind around thousands of years. I, I perhaps can wrap my mind around millions of years. But I have a difficult time wrapping my mind around billions of years. And it is impossible for me to wrap my mind around this concept called eternity. Without time. And that's what the Bible says about Jesus, the Son of God. He says that Jesus has already existed. Understand, Jesus didn't have his beginning in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus existed before he was born. And so what John is doing here is he begins his defense of who Jesus is. And that's what the Gospel of John is all about. John is making a claim that Jesus is the Son of God. And as he begins this defense, he tells us that this Jesus that I am presenting to you as the Son of God has existed from eternity past and will exist into eternity present. In other words, John is saying that Jesus is that everlasting constant. Jesus has always been... And Jesus always will be. Now, understand, John isn't the only one that said this. Paul said this. In Colossians chapter 1, you can put this verse on your note sheet. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says this. He said, he, and he's talking about Jesus, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And so the apostle Paul said, before there was anything, before there was everything, there was Jesus. And Jesus claimed to be this everlasting constant. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and and they're throwing their birth card. They're saying that Abraham is our father and, and Jesus basically calls them liars. He said, just because Abraham is your father by birth doesn't mean that he is your father spiritually. 
And as Jesus is speaking about who he is and and about God and about eternal things, Jesus makes a statement in John chapter 8, verse 58, that absolutely blows the minds of the religious leaders and angers them to the point that they pick up stones to kill him. Jesus says this, before Abraham was even born, I am. Jesus was saying, before Abraham, the father of our nation, existed I existed. I am the everlasting constant. I am God. In John chapter 17, when Jesus is, is praying the prayer, we oftentimes call the, that passage in, in Matthew 6 the Lord's Prayer. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's where Jesus is attempting to give us a model of how we should pray. That's not really Jesus praying. He's saying, when you pray, pray this way. And and he gives us some fundamental truths that we can use in our prayer life. But in John chapter 17, we see Jesus praying to the Father. And in John 17, Jesus says this in verse 5. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence. Listen to what it says. With the glory I had with you before the world began. Did you get that? Jesus said, Father, it's time. I'm going to the cross. And now I pray that you will return the glory to me that I had in eternity past before the world ever even began. So to see, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the pre-existent one. He has always been. And understand, John doesn't attempt to try to prove this truth. He assumes that that it's a reality. And you need to understand today, regardless of who you are and regardless of what your philosophical view may be, your scientific view may be, if you're here today, you hold to one of two truths. You either one believe that matter is eternal and everything that is here is here by chance. Or you believe that Jesus is eternal and everything that is here is here by design. Those are the only two options. If matter is the eternal thing, then you and I are here by chance and life really doesn't matter. Or either Jesus is eternal and if Jesus is eternal, everything was created by design. Everything has a purpose And you and I matter to God. So the first thing John says is the Son of God is eternal. And then John says the Son of God is divine. Now, the next two phrases here deal with the divinity of Jesus. Now, let's look at the second phrase first. He says the Word was God. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses say, well, the Word, Jesus, was a God, little God. The Mormons say, well, the Word, Jesus, became a God. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the word Jesus was God. Now listen very carefully. You can debate the Bible. You can deny that the Bible is true. But you cannot deny the fact that the Bible teaches without question that Jesus is and always has been God. He did not become God He was not elevated to Godhood. He was God in the beginning. 
and he will always be God. Now, throughout history, Jesus has been called many things. He's been called a prophet, a great teacher, a miracle worker, a a philosopher. One person, John Stuart Mills, called him the preeminent genius. The preeminent genius. But understand, Jesus is more than the preeminent Jesus. He's more than the preeminent genius. He is God in the flesh. Now listen, it's important for Christians to nail down certain beliefs. There are certain beliefs that are essential to the Christian faith. If we are going to call ourselves Christians the way that historically Christians have been defined, then we must nail down certain beliefs. And one of those beliefs is Jesus is God. Jesus has always been God. Jesus always will be God. And so if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian and and yet you go, well, I believe that Jesus became God because of the things he did. Well, you can believe that, but you can't call yourself Christian. You you may say, well, I believe that Jesus was a great miracle worker and, and he was used by God to bring salvation to the world, but he wasn't God. You can believe that, but you can't call yourself Christian. If you're going to call yourself Christian, you have to come to the conclusion that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus was not merely a a good man. He was not merely a great teacher. He is God. He did not become God. He has always been God. Let me just give you a few scriptures. We don't have time to go into all of them in detail. But in in John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples, preparing them for his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And, and he says to Philip, he says to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the apostle Paul says he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And then in chapter 2, he says that he, um, in Christ, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we are told the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. You see, the Bible never soft-sells this. The Bible never vacillates on this. The Bible makes it plain from beginning to end that Jesus is the unique Son of God, God in the flesh. Now, let's look at that second phrase Or the first phrase. The first phrase says the word was with God. Now that word with is a Greek word that literally means toward or or face to face. It, It is saying that the father and the son have been face to face in relationship for all eternity. Now this word was used to describe a very intimate relationship. There are some people who mistakenly say... That God created mankind because man was lo- God was lonely. And God needed man so that he would have companionship. And that is foolish. It sounds good, doesn't it? But it's a lie from the pit of hell. Because God didn't need you and I for relationship. God was in perfect relationship with the Son and with the Holy Spirit from eternity past. God is the one who defines relationship for us. 
And so when we read this phrase, the word was with God, is speaking of that unique relationship that the father has with the son. They live in union. We call it the trinity because the Holy Spirit is part of this. They, they live in a unique relationship from eternity past. They have always been. We see this in the very first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God, and the word for God is Elohim, God, plural. In the beginning, God created, singular. In the beginning, this God who, who existed three in one created singular everything. You say, Rocky, how can that be? Let me tell you, that's above my pay grade. That's above my ability to understand. And occasionally, you will get people who are super intelligent, and they will stand up and say, well, here's how you define the Trinity. And they begin to speak, and, and it boggles my mind. I'm just sitting there and I get a headache because I'm trying to understand this incomprehensible truth about who God is. And there's some things, understand, that you're never going to completely fathom about God. And, and this is one of those things that you have to accept by faith. The Bible says there is one God and yet that one God has revealed himself throughout eternity in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And how can that be? It's beyond our comprehension, but it's true. And so here is the Son of God. He is eternal. The Son of God, He is divine. But then there's one other thing. That last phrase, look at the final phrase. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. Now, in Hebrew, this is a parallelism. In other words, he says, I'm going to tell you this one way, and then I'm going to turn around and tell you this another way so that you really get it. I don't want you to miss this. This is important. And what he is saying is that God created, Jesus created everything. Now, understand, understand, at that point, you and I, as Christ followers, have to determine, am I going to believe the Bible or am I going to believe this pseudo-psychological babble called evolution? We're going to have to determine whether we believe one or the other. Either God created through Jesus everything, or everything just happened through evolution by chance. We cannot hold to both. Those are, are two theories about the beginning of time that cannot coexist. One leaves God out. The other says God is the one who is the determining factor of everything. And we have to determine which one it is. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. It says, for by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him. And get this, all things were created for him. Everything on planet earth everything out there in the galaxy everything that we can see with the most powerful telescopes and the things that we cannot even begin to see they were created for his glory and for his purpose it was all created by him and was all created for him now listen if god created everything and god created everything for his purpose that means that he not only created the earth for his purpose. He not only created the, the Milky Way galaxy for his purpose. You know what else? He created you for his purpose. That means that God has a purpose in mind for you. Now, here's what I believe. I want you to look at me. 
I believe that God's purpose, God's desire, God's will for you is that you live in relationship with him for all eternity through accepting his son, Jesus, as the propitiation, the the payment for your sin. But understand, if you reject that purpose to live in relationship with God through Jesus, honoring him, serving him, worshiping him for all eternity, you will still accomplish his purpose. Some people will accomplish God's purpose by being trophies of grace. We've accepted the gift of God and and we're trophies of that grace. Others will fulfill God's purpose by showing his just justice. That God is a just God. And God is a fair God. And even in judgment, people will fulfill God's purpose by showing his holiness. And his anger towards sin. And so here we see the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Son of God. But let's move on. Because as we move on in John 1, we see the incarnate Son of God. The the word incarnate comes from a Latin word, which, which literally means with flesh. When you hear that phrase, chili con carne, it means chili with meat. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want chili with just tomato sauce and beans. I want some meat with my chili, amen? And when we read the incarnation, it means with flesh. And so it's speaking of God with flesh. God with flesh and bone. Now, listen to what it says in verse 14. The Word became flesh. Now think about that for just a moment. The eternal God, the God who always existed, became flesh. And then it says, and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. Now I want you to hold on to that. We're not going to talk about that phrase right now, but grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace. Jesus was full of truth. Now now look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The Bible teaches us that God the Father is what? He is spirit. And so if no one has ever seen God, whenever someone saw God in the Old Testament, if they've never seen the Father, who did they see? They saw the Son. If no one has ever seen the Father, and yet in the Old Testament we see these these pictures of men who were able to see the presence of God, they saw Jesus. And so it says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, he made him known. Now think about that. These two verses are telling us that God became a man. Now I don't know about you, but that boggles my mind. The God who created everything took on flesh and blood. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16 in the New Living Translation. It says, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body. This is the great mystery of the faith. Christ, the Messiah, God being revealed to us. In a human body. John MacArthur said this. He said the incarnation is the central miracle of Christianity. The most grand and wonderful of all things that God has ever done. I love what Robert Moyer said. He said in Jesus. 
Divine omnipotence moved in a human arm. In Jesus, divine wisdom was cradled in a human mind. In Jesus, divine love throbbed in a human heart. In Jesus, divine compassion glistened in a human eye. And in Jesus, divine grace poured through from human lips. Now, how does it happen? I mean, how did God take on human form? Well, Matthew and Luke tell us the unique way in which Jesus came into the world. John doesn't tell us. Mark doesn't tell us. They just tell us about his, his being here. But Matthew and Luke, they go into detail and tell us how it happened. Listen to what Luke says, beginning in verse one, verse, chapter 1, verse 26. He said, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And you sit back and say, why was she troubled? You just think about it for just a moment. An angel appears to you and says, The Most High is, really has favor upon you. I mean, it would make us feel a little good, but I think it would kind of trouble us a little bit. Oh my goodness, an angel is in my house. And so she was troubled by all of this. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have been found, have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high, the son of God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked. I, I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. A virgin birth. How can it be? Well, it's a miracle. Larry King was once asked in an interview, if you could interview anybody throughout all of human history, who would you interview? And without hesitation, Larry King said, Jesus and the, the interviewer went on and said, well, what kind of questions would you ask him? And Larry King said, the first question I would ask is this. Were you really virgin born? Because his answer to that will determine all of life for me. Did you get that? Larry King who is not a believer, said if Jesus is virgin born, it will define what life should really be about for me. Now, here's the problem. There are many of us in this room this morning who believe that up here. We would say without question, we would say definitively, we believe in the virgin birth. And yet, when we leave here this morning, that belief really has no change whatsoever in how we're going to live our life. And yet Larry King, a non-believer, said, if Jesus is indeed virgin born, it would change everything for me. Jesus was born of a virgin, God becoming man. The invisible God becoming visible so that we could see him. God being revealed to us for the first time in flesh and bone. Do you, know, do you want to know what God is like? You, you don't simply have to thumb through the pages of the Old Testament. Really, all you need to do is read through the Gospels. 
Read, read about Jesus. See, see how Jesus lived. See what Jesus did. See how Jesus ministered. See what Jesus taught. And you will see what God is like. But that leads us to a third truth that I want to share with you this morning. And that is the testimony concerning the Son of God. Because, because understand, John, the disciple, is the one who wrote the Gospel of John. His, his defense of who Jesus is as the Son of God. But as he begins to share about Jesus' life, in chapter 1, he introduces us to another John, John the Baptist, who was a prophet. The Bible says that he was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. Now understand, John the Baptist was older than Jesus. John the Baptist was the son of Elizabeth, who was a cousin of Mary. And, and she gave birth before Mary gave birth. So here was John. He is older than Jesus. And, and he became a great prophet. And, and many people came to hear him. He was a powerful preacher of the word of God. But listen to John the Baptist's testimony. Beginning in verse 15. John, and, and this is John the Baptist. John testifies concerning him, concerning Jesus he cries out saying, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And so what, John is, what is John saying? John is saying, I recognize that even though I'm older than this man, this man was before me. This man came before me. For, for, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 34, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now, John sets up this, this conflict between, between two truths. First of all, he talks about the law of Moses. The law was given through Moses. But then he talks about grace and truth. And he says grace and truth was given through Jesus. Now, now understand, everybody in the world will either stand before God based upon the law or we will stand before God based upon grace. Everyone will. Now, there's some today who are going to stand before God based upon the law. We are trying our hardest to please God. We're trying desperately to live up to God's expectations. That's what we want to do. That's how we want to live. We want to be obedient to what God says. But here's what you need to understand about the law. James said this in James 2. He said, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. Did you get that? James is saying that if I follow everything the law says and yet I stumble in just one thing that the law tells me to do, I'm guilty of breaking the whole law. I'm a lawbreaker and lawbreakers don't go to heaven. Did you hear that? That tells me that, that I, can, I can make a 99 on my test, but if I miss one question, I fail the test. That's the law. 
Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about the law. Let me give you some things. In Galatians 2 verse 16, he says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And then he goes on to say, For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. No one. No one will ever be made right with God by keeping the laws. In Galatians 3, beginning in verse 10, Paul says, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under a curse. And then he says, So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. And then he goes on to say, The way of faith is made different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse that was pronounced by the law. Galatians 3, verse 19. Paul says, why then was the law given? And he says this, it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. He goes on to tell us that that the law was, was literally a guardian that protected us before the Savior came. You see, the law was never given to save. Because none of us could ever fulfill the law. It's impossible. God is a perfect God. And the only way that we can ever enter into his presence for all eternity is to be perfect. And none of us on our best day measure up to that. We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. That's why Paul said that that those who try to live by the law are under a curse. And if you're here today and and you're trying to be good enough to please God so that hopefully one day your good will outweigh your bad and God will look at you and say, come on in, you tried real hard. Let me tell you, you're living under a curse and you're never going to experience eternal life. The law was given under Moses and why was it given? It was given to show us our sins. The law wasn't given to, so that we would look at it and go, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, better than, I'm better than a lot of those people. That's not why the law was given. The law was given so that as we read it, we will open it and go, oh my goodness. I'm a sinner. There's nothing good in me. How will I ever make it into God's presence? That's why the law was given. And so John says that the law was given under Moses. But then he says grace and truth was given through Jesus Christ. Truth. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. When he says that the truth was given through Jesus, what does he mean? Well, Jesus embodies truth. Jesus embodies everything true about God, about man. If if you want to know what you're really like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is really like, the truth about God, look at Jesus. If, If you want to know the truth about eternity, look to Jesus. Jesus embodies all truth. Jesus is also full of grace. And grace is simply God's undeserved love. The truth is revealed in Jesus. I believe Peter saw the truth when he was on the boat with Jesus and and they had that great haul of fish and 
And Peter said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. What was he looking at? He was looking at Jesus, the truth, right? He is truth. But he's also grace. And I think about grace when I, when I think about the woman at the well. Jesus is having that conversation with her. And Jesus told the woman, go and get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, well, at least you're being honest. You don't have a husband right now. And you've had a number of husbands in the past. And the man you're now living with isn't your husband. You're being honest. And then Jesus just, I mean, he said it matter-of-factly. He didn't say it judging her. He just loved her. And, and he revealed to her who he was. And she found salvation. It's grace. I think about grace when I think about Zacchaeus. I mean, that tax collector who was working for the enemy of Israel, the Romans. He was collecting taxes, forcing the Jews to give their money to the Romans. And Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming through town. And no one would let Zacchaeus through to see Jesus. He was hated and despised. He climbed up in that tree. Jesus was talking to the crowds and walking through it. He spotted Zacchaeus and... We don't know whether he just knew his name because he was God in the flesh or whether he had heard about Zacchaeus, but he saw him and said, Hey, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. Come on down. I want to go to your house and eat, eat lunch today. And Jesus ate with Zacchaeus. And, and when he did, Zacchaeus' life was forever changed. And he said, All the money I've stolen, I'm going to return. And I'm not only going to just return the money I've stolen, I'm going to give back 20% more of everything that I stole. I think, about, I think about grace being given to the woman called in adultery who was there perhaps naked on the ground before all of these, these judgmental men. And the law said stone her and, and they said to Jesus, what do you say we should do? And Jesus started scribbling. We don't know what was scribbled on the ground, but what we do know is what Jesus said. He said, okay. The law does say stoner, but you who are without sin, you, you be the one who casts the first stone. And all of a sudden, from the oldest to the youngest, they cast down their stones and began to walk away. And Jesus looked up and he said, woman, where are those who accuse you? And the woman said, they're gone. And Jesus is the only one who could have accused her. He was without sin. And Jesus said, I don't accuse you either. But then grace said, go and sin no more. You see, God shows grace. God doesn't accept us because we're good. God doesn't accept us because we try our best. God accepts us because of His grace. His undeserved love. He looks at you right where you are in the midst of all your sin, in the midst of all your rebellion, in the midst of all those things that you're ashamed of. And he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I don't condemn you. And then he says, let me change you so that you don't have to go and sin anymore. That's grace. And that's what John testified as he looked at Jesus and he observed his life, he said that the law, it came through Moses, but the law can't save anyone. But grace and truth, they come through Jesus. And grace will save everyone who will respond. 
So what about you? You see, Jesus, the Son of God, He's the pre-incarnate Son of God. He's always been. He's the everlasting constant. He's the incarnate Son of God. He's God taking on human form so you and I can know what God is like. But He's also the one who came to earth to reveal to us grace and reveal to us truth. But here's the thing. We've got to receive it. In John 1 verse 12, John says this, But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gives the right to be called the the children of God to those who believe on his name. John says everyone who receives Jesus is going to be a child of God. All of those who believe on his name. Because we're approaching him based upon Needed grace, not based upon our efforts and our work. Now, what about you? Where are you at this morning when you think about the Son of God? Are you thinking that one day you're going to stand before God based upon all of your effort and your work and your good deeds and your religiosity? And and God's going to look and go, wow, man, you're a first-round draft pick. I'm glad to have you. Come on my team. Do you think that's the way it's going to be? Or are you going to stand before the Son of God one day? Say, Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And the Son of God is going to say, your sins have been forgiven. Come on in. Would you bow your head with me? I don't know where you're at this morning. But this is what I know. I know that Jesus is God. He's not a God. He's not a kind of God. He's not a type of God. Jesus is God. He always has been. He always will be. He is the creator of everything. And everything exists exists for his purpose and his pleasure, including you. And so the question is, how are you going to live your life? Are you going to live it in a way that glorifies him because you become a trophy of his grace? Or are you going to live it in a way that glorifies him because you show his judgment as the truth? Father God, my prayer this morning is that everyone here will not only know you, but radically follow you. As the one true God. Do a work in each of our lives. I pray in Jesus name. Amen.